Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you are ready for part three of our one series? All right. Glad that you are here and ready, alive and alert. We've got a great message, I think, for us today. If you're new, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are in part three of our series on unity as we explore the longest recorded prayer we have in scripture of Jesus in John chapter 17. And in this series, we're specifically zeroing in on verse 21, where Jesus prayed that we, his followers, would be one, just as he and his heavenly Father are one, and that our unity would prove to the world that God the Father sent God the Son, and that God the Father loves us as much as he loves the Son. Now, as we begin, let me ask this question. How important do you think Jesus' prayer is in John 17? Is it like kind of important, like really important? How important do you think it is? Really important. I think we all can say that, that Jesus' prayer is extremely important. Obviously, Jesus wouldn't pray about anything that wasn't important. But when we look at Jesus' prayer in John 17, Jesus felt the need to pause invite his disciples in to hear his prayer. Like, again, almost the final prayer that he had. It was the final prayer that is recorded before he was arrested. And he invited them in to hear a prayer about unity. It's interesting about this prayer is that we have the ability to answer it. So often we're praying to God to answer our prayer, but we have the ability, we have the power in this context to answer Jesus' prayer. And we've said over the past few weeks, we're not doing a very good job of that as we look around our world. Our world is more divided now than it seems like ever. And those divisions are tearing us apart. So we've got to do a better job of answering Jesus' prayer. And to do that, we're going to explore today some of the things that stand in our way of unity and some things that we can do to overcome those things that stand in our way for unity. But before we get to that, let me give you the same disclaimer that I gave last week. And it goes like this. Right now, everybody is on high alert for anything or anyone that sounds offensive or that they disagree with. And often when we hear something that we disagree with, there's a, a group of people that plug their ears, that withdraw. Some people get angry and get violent in, in discussions and debates with other people just because they're in disagreement. That, that behavior, those activities are doing nothing but making our divisions worse. So as we walk through today's message, what I ask is that you have open hearts, open minds, and open ears. And you ask God to speak directly to you. If I step on anything during today's message in your heart that doesn't sit well with you, I would love to talk with you about it. Don't shut down. Don't withdraw. Don't get angry. Let's have a discussion. We've learned in this series that conversations create solutions. So I would love to have a discussion with you. If, if I talk about something that maybe pricks a past hurt in your life, or you want to discuss a, an issue further to try to find unity, I'd love to talk about that with you. And I'll be up here at the front after the service is over. We'll also have a few people up here up front who can pray with you 
So if we step on something that kind of hurts, you need prayer for. Just come on up after the service and we'll pray together. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked last week. Can we all agree today, as we listen, whether we're here on campus or we're watching online, can we all agree to be open-hearted and open-minded as we walk through today's message? Yes, love it. A strong yes. I love that. If you're online, feel free to type your yes. Hopefully you've got a yes uh, online as well so we can watch that. Now, if you're a note taker, I think today would be a great day to take notes. So if you're old fashioned, grab a pen and a paper. If you're kind of hip and cool, get your uh, phone out, your smartphone. You can type on it or you can take pictures of, this, of the screen. If you've got a computer with you this morning, you're a little too ready um, unless you're at home. So if you're at home with a computer, you're right on. Love it. Um, If you don't have any of those things with you, I have listed what we're going to be talking about today on our spiritual growth challenge that you can download from our website and revisit some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. So in order for us to answer Jesus' prayer, we have to understand what stands in our way, and we have to look beyond that as well. So we're going to start with what stands in our way. So there are at least two things that stand in our way for unity. They are us and Satan. So we stand in our way of unity, and Satan stands in our way of unity. We're going to start with us. So we have this terrible tendency, like we talked about last week, of ranking and labeling and judging people and treating people based upon those labels, and that causes division, It causes division between us. And so we've got this terrible tendency of doing that. We do that politically, ethnically, socially, even spiritually. So I just want to give you one example. It's kind of a hot topic right now. So take a look at these two statements. Black lives matter and all lives matter. Now, most likely, these two statements generate some emotions in you. And most likely, as you look at them, you see yourself aligning with one statement and maybe rejecting the other statement. But as we step back and just look at these statements, I think we could recognize these are two true statements. They're both true in and of themselves. And we are so divided in our nation right now. We are divided over truth. We're divided over truth statements. Now, I understand that there's a lot behind these statements. I get it. There's an organization behind one. There's an ideology behind another. And some of us say, well, I I don't know that I agree with that. I maybe agree with the statement. I'm struggling with what, what else is behind it. So I get that. But just on the surface, look at what we're divided over. We're divided over two truth statements. Now, I'm gonna make what might feel like a big statement, but I want you to listen to all of it. The big statement is this. I don't think we have an ethnic problem in our world right now. I don't think we have an ethnic problem. I think we have a sin problem. I think we have a sin issue going on in our world. Because anytime I don't like you or you don't like me for whatever reason, I don't like you because maybe you got too much hair. You don't like me because, you know, I don't have enough hair. Like, for whatever reason, we say, I don't like you or you don't like me, that's a sin issue. And I think we can boil down any discrimination 
We can boil down a lot of divisions. We can boil down disunity to sin that needs to be addressed in our lives. So often we stand in the way of the unity that Jesus prayed for. The other thing that stands in the way of unity that Jesus prayed for is Satan. And I don't know what you believe about Satan. There's a whole lot of people that don't believe in Satan, you know, maybe around Halloween, but they, in general, they, they don't believe in him. But I tell you why I believe in Satan, because Jesus believed in Satan. Actually, scripture teaches that Jesus created Satan, didn't create him as Satan, created him as Lucifer, the angel of light. Satan didn't like his position. Lucifer didn't like his position. The power that he had, he wanted more. He turned against God. Got a name change from Lucifer to Satan. Jesus actually prayed about him in John chapter 17, this prayer that we're studying together. In verse 15, Jesus prayed to his heavenly father and said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, talking about us, his followers. He said, I'm asking you to keep them safe from the evil one. The evil one is a reference to Satan, a real being whom Jesus said has come to steal kill, and destroy. And I want you to listen to what Pastor Tony Evans says about Satan and our unity. Listen to this. He says, Satan spends most of his time trying to divide us in the body of Christ. Why? Because he knows that God's power and glory are both accessed and magnified through unity. He is not spending his time trying to make the world wicked because he doesn't have to help the world be wicked. The world is born in wickedness and division. Satan just has to let the world do its natural thing and individuals will divide, fight, and oppress each other. If Satan can keep Christians ineffective due to a lack of cooperation and mutual edification, he will prevent the church from providing a model of the kingdom of God as an alternative to it's chaos. And I think as we look around the United States right now, we can see some chaos. Well, that's the activity of Satan, trying to prevent us from experiencing the unity that we can experience. So not only do we stand in the way of unity, but Satan stands in our way of unity, and we help him do that on too many occasions. Now, for us to overcome those two things, there are at least seven things I think we need to do to bring unity into our relationships around us. And the first thing is this. We have to ask God to search our hearts. In Psalms 139, King David prayed one of the most challenging, powerful prayers ever. He was the second king of the nation of Israel, and he prayed this in verse 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. It's interesting, right now, we're on high alert for all the ways that other people offend us. But David says, God, there may be some ways that I'm offending you. Please point that out to me and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So in order for us to answer Jesus' prayer for unity, we've got to ask God to search our own hearts and, and say, God, is there anything inside of me that is fighting the unity that you've prayed for? Am I discriminating against anyone in a context that's it's so inappropriate, Lord, that I need to fix in my own heart? And before we rush to say, no, I don't do that. 
I don't discriminate. I don't cause division. We need to take a time out. We need to pause like David did. We need to pray and ask God to search our heart and point out anything that might be offensive to him. And if and when he points those things out, we need to deal with them as sin. We need to recognize those as sin issues, confess those to him, and then fix that in our lives and ask God to help us live a life that will bring honor and glory to him. So the first thing we have to do is ask God to search our hearts. The second thing is this. We've got to learn to see people the way that God sees people. Several years ago, I was uh, sitting outside of Walmart waiting for my wife, Tammy, to come out of the store. And I was just sitting in my truck in a parking space doing one of my favorite pastimes of people watching. Anybody else like to watch people? People are fun, aren't they? They're interesting. We are. So I'm sitting there watching people, watching people walk in Walmart and out of Walmart, and I'm making observations about them. Like, wow, that's a really tall person. And uh, wow, that's a really short person. Uh, Wow, I can't believe that person put that on today, walked out in public. Like, what are they thinking? That's craziness. So I'm just, you know, having a mental dialogue going on. And then God interrupted my fun. And he whispered to me and said, Trent, do you want to see what I see? He said, I see lost people and found people. I see my children who I will get to spend forever with. And I see people who aren't yet my children. And if they don't become my children, they'll spend forever apart from me. And that breaks my heart. It broke my heart so much I sent Jesus to die so that wouldn't have to happen. My fun turned to a moment of conviction as I realized in that moment, I don't see people the way that God sees people. But we've got to learn how to do that. When we look at people, we got to stop looking at just the surface. God says he sees the heart. He looks beyond the surface. He sees inside of us. We've got to see something deeper. We've got to see people who are created in the image of God, people who matter enough that Jesus would die to prove that. So we've got to learn to see people a different way. And I'm working on doing that. A prayer that our worship leader, Matt, prays on a regular basis is, God, help me see people the way that you do. I think that's a prayer we've got to learn to pray on a regular basis, because when we learn to see people the way that God sees people, we'll start treating them the way that God treats them. So number one, we gotta ask God to search our hearts. Number two, we gotta learn to see people the way God does. And number three, we have to promote God's agenda, not our own. Right now, everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's pushing and promoting their own agenda. You may or may not know this, but God has an agenda as well. In 1 Timothy 2.3, it reveals God's agenda when it says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, what's that next word? Everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. So that word saved has to do with eternal life. So God's agenda is for everyone to put their faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done on the cross so that we can live forever with him in heaven and so that we would understand truth that sets us free from the lies that we believe. Right now, there's a whole lot of lies that people are believing out there. So that's God's agenda. 
And if you're a follower of Jesus, God has given you that agenda in the form of a task. It's found in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says this, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling people to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So our primary task as followers of Jesus is to help people be reconciled to God, to help them understand how God feels about them, what God thinks about them. God's not mad at them. He's not disappointed in them. He loves them. And he wants them to understand that. And how are they going to understand that? One way is when they see the unity that we have in the body of Christ. Jesus said, when we experience that kind of unity, the world will know that Jesus really was sent from the Father. And the Father loves them as much as he loves Jesus. So we've got to help people be reconciled to God. And another part of that is we've got to help people be reconciled to each other. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He said, blessed are people who step into conflict to end violence, to end discrimination, to end riots. Blessed are the people who, when they see conflict, they don't run from it and go, well, well, that's not my issue. That's not my problem. When they see conflict, they step in to do what they can to bring unity in the context of that relationship. But the problem is, too many of us are pushing our agenda, not God's agenda. So if you're a Christ follower, we gotta make sure we're promoting God's agenda above our own. So number one, ask God to search your heart. Number two, we gotta learn to see people the way God does. Number three, we gotta promote God's agenda, not our own. Number four, we've gotta learn to build Genuine relationships, genuine friendships with people who are different than we are. Again, our tendency to label and judge people has created such division that we often only like to gather with people who are like us. We see that in neighborhoods. We see that sometimes in a work context. We even see that in churches. And I think some of that is natural, but I want you to listen to what the makeup of heaven is going to be like, okay? So we have a glimpse of heaven recorded by the apostle John in Revelation chapter 7. In verse 9, he says this. says, he saw a vast crowd in heaven, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. The beauty of that is heaven is going to be filled with people from every nation, from every culture around the world. Why? Because God created all of that. God created diversity. He loves diversity. And he invites everyone into his family. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter the language that you speak. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can be a part 
of his family. Here's a really interesting thing here. You think about the nationality that you have right now, that will be the nationality that you have in heaven. John said he saw people from every tribe, every nation, all around the world. So we should celebrate the culture that God has placed us in. And we should learn to celebrate the other cultures that are around us because we all can be a part of God's family. And since heaven's going to be so beautifully diverse, we've got to learn how to do a better job of being unified in our diversity here. And I think one way that we can do that is by building genuine friendships with people who are different than we are. So what that means is if you're white, you should have some genuine black friends. If you're black, you should have some genuine white friends. If you're brown, you should have some genuine yellow friends. If you're a Democrat, you should have some genuine Republican friends. If you're an independent, you should find some friends. <laughs> because now you probably have more friends than the Democrats or Republicans right now. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about his friendship with us. In John 15, verse 12, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, this is my command. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I've told you everything the Father told me, and you didn't choose me, you didn't come along and say, hey, I, I want to be a friend with you. No, no, no. I chose you. And I chose you not to be my servant, not to be my slave. I chose you to be my friend. So the reality is Jesus left the splendor of heaven to cross every divide that separated him from us to build an eternal friendship with us. And we have got to follow his example. And the reason is because it's really hard to discriminate against. It's really hard to label. And in our, our cancel culture right now, where we like to cancel anybody that disagrees with us, it's really hard to cancel your friends. If you're a friend with somebody, it's really hard to do that kind of stuff with them. So we've got to learn to build genuine friendships because friendship is actually one way we can build the unity that Jesus was praying for. What do friends do when they disagree with each other? They sit down and talk. They have conversations with each other. They don't name call. They don't throw mud at each other. They don't get violent. They don't withdraw. They, they sit down and have conversations with each other. And, and I think we would all agree that we need a lot more of that right now in our world. Now, what do friends do when they come up against something that they can't seem to find agreement on? They can't figure out how to find agreement. I think they do what Jesus said in Matthew 22. This is the fifth thing we should do for unity. In verse 37, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine what would happen to all the, the conflict and chaos that's going on in our world right now if we just applied those two statements, love God and love people? Think about the discrimination in our world. What would happen to that? 
Think about the riots. Think about the violence. Think about some of the hatred that's there. In order for that to end, we all have to learn to love each other the way that God loves us. Now, there's another obstacle, I think, that stands in the way of of us learning to love people and us bringing unity into our world. And in that context right now, it's, it's that too many people today think that if somebody else disagrees with them, they are the enemy. So when we look at somebody and we find out their political views or their social views, often we go, oh, you're the enemy. We label them quickly. Then we either back away from them or we get active on social media against them or or whatever. But Jesus told us to do something different with our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he said, You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. And everybody hearing that said, say that again, Jesus? What? Love who? Yeah, yeah. He said, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Some translations actually add, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. Verse 45, Jesus said, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. So it really is possible for us to love people who vote different, act different, think different, look different. But we've got to see them as the people that God loves. We've got to stop seeing them as the enemy for us to do that. So first, we've got to ask God to search our heart. Number two, we've got to learn to see people the way God does. Number three, we've got to promote God's agenda, not our own. Number four, we've got to build genuine relationships with people who are different than us. And then number five, we've got to learn to love people the way God does. And number six, I've got to warn you, is really challenging. Number six involves forgiving people who hurt you. The reality as we work towards unity is that we're going to be hurt. We're going to be hurt by people who are skeptical of our motives for trying to bring unity. We're going to be hurt by people who don't want the unity that we are promoting and talking about. We're just going to be hurt. Jesus told us what to do with that kind of hurt. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he said, so get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You know, that was written by the Apostle Paul over 2,000 years ago, and that is the exact thing we need to apply today. So when somebody comes along and says, you know what, the Bible's outdated, it's not really relevant for our lives today, you can just pull out Ephesians uh, 4, 31. You go, this is very relevant for us today. And then in verse 32, Paul says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted. What's that next word? Forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, I know it's really hard to forgive people who've hurt us. Like, I get it. I know. But that is the path for us to experience the unity Jesus was praying for, something none of us have really ever seen well in our lives. And unity requires that we learn to forgive others. Number seven, we've got to leverage our influence. 
Leverage our influence. So right now, each of us have influence with a group of people around us. It might be at home, might be at work, might be at school, might be on a team that you're on. But we all have influence, and we should leverage that influence to bring unity to our relationships and the disunity that's around us. So we can leverage our influence to model what real love should look like. We can leverage our influence to help people cross divides that are separating us from other people. We can even leverage our influence to confront people who are standing in the way of unity. You may or may not know this, but the Apostle Paul one time confronted the Apostle Peter because he was discriminating against Gentile Christians. After Christ's resurrection, God made it clear that the apostles were to extend salvation to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and invite them into God's family. And so Peter started doing that right away. And he did that until some of his Jewish friends came along. And when his Jewish friends came along, he backed away from the Gentiles. He stopped spending time with them. He stopped reaching out to them. And when Paul found out about it, he comes along in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, he confronts him to his face. He says, listen, I had to oppose him to his face because what he was doing was wrong. So sometimes we have to confront people in our circle who are standing in the way of unity. There's all kinds of things that we can do to leverage our influence with people around us. And we leverage that influence not to push our agenda, but to push God's agenda and bring peace and unity in our relationships. All right, how's everybody doing? You still with me? You still tracking? Okay, got just a little bit more, and then we'll wrap up. So first I want to tell you um, how some of this applies to us as a church. And, uh, you know, last week we celebrated our our 11th birthday, which is really kind of cool. And... uh, So again, hopefully you'll come out this afternoon and celebrate that with us as we gather at the park and have some fun. Um, But 11 years ago, we did a lot of work on trying to figure out the values that would guide us as a church. And before anybody was talking about uh, uh, who matters, we kind of framed our values in the context of what matters. So I want to show you our five values. So these are our five values. They've guided us for the past 11 years. Uh, Number one, people matter. Number two, becoming like Jesus matters. Number three, authentic community matters. Number four, engaging environments matter. And number five, serving others matters. I'm just going to highlight the first two for, for just a moment. So our first value is that people matter. Everyone matters. Scripture's clear about that. Everyone matters, not just religious people, not just wealthy people, not just educated people. Everyone matters to God and matters to us. I want to personalize that for you this morning. You matter. You may not believe that. You may have never been told that before in your life. I've got some friends who grew up hearing from family members that they don't matter. That has influenced them. That's affected them to this day, how they live, how they operate, how they treat themselves, how they treat other people. God's very clear in Scripture that you matter. 
And what I hope that you hear as you walk out today is I hope that those two words echo in your heart and your mind as you leave and in those moments where, where you struggle to find your value and worth. I hope that you hear those two words. You matter. You matter to God so much that he was willing to send Jesus to die for you. You matter a whole lot. You matter to God, you matter to me, and you matter to us at Epic. Now, our second value is becoming like Jesus matters. So here's the reality about this statement, is that Jesus didn't die so we could stay the way that we are. Jesus died so we could be transformed. We could be transformed into new people. We could learn to live and love like he does. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So the moment someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they become brand new. They get a new heart for loving people with. They get new eyes to learn to see people the way that God does. They get new hands and arms to serve people with. They get new legs and feet to walk across any divide that separates us from somebody else, to model to them, to prove to them, to show them that they matter. For the past 11 years, we've been following God's agenda and trying to help people understand that you matter. And we will always be a church that welcomes everyone that serves everyone because you matter to God and you matter to us. So that's how some of what this issue of unity applies to us, how we are working to bring unity to our world. And we will continue to promote God's agenda of unity, to let people know they matter very much. Now, I know I've thrown a lot at you today, so I'm going to circle back through these seven things just briefly, and I invite you, as I do that, just pick one thing out that you need to work on today. So maybe this week, you need to ask God to search your heart. Like Maybe you just need to ask him to search and then listen until he speaks. And if and when God points something out in your life that needs to change, admit that and then work to change that. Maybe some of us need an eye exam because we don't see people the way that God does. And so ask God this week, God, will you teach me how to see people the way that you do? Maybe some of us need to evaluate whose agenda we're pushing. Again, if you're a Christ follower, the only agenda that's acceptable for you to push is God's agenda, never our own. Maybe some of us need to evaluate our friendships and if you are to look around at some of your closest relationships and, and you realize, you know what, it's filled with a group of people that look like me, act like me, think like me, vote like me, it's time to step across the divide and build a genuine friendship with someone who's different. Others may need to evaluate whether you are really loving God the way, or loving people the way that God does. Uh, it's our love for people that points people to God, not our opinions, not our social media posts. It's our love. Maybe some of you need to forgive someone. Maybe you're carrying around a real hurt in your heart right now. And maybe God's saying, you know what? It's time to let that go. 
Time to forgive that person and move on. And I understand it's difficult. I know. I know it is. If you need prayer about that after the service, again, we'll be available for that. But the path of unity is through forgiveness. Others of us need to learn to leverage our influence better. We've got influence with people around us, but uh, there's so many hot topics right now. Some of us are just afraid to engage anything for fear of what could happen. We've got influence. God's handed us an agenda of reconciliation, of reconciling people to him, reconciling people to each other, and we can't remain silent about that. We've got to step in and be a voice of unity on God's behalf. So again, there's any number of things that we may need to do, and I encourage you to to process through that, especially as our worship team closes us in just a moment, and identify one thing that you can work on this week. Now, if I have um, stepped on anything this morning that is uh, tender in your heart and you need to talk or you need to pray, again, I'll be up front. There'll be others up front as well. would love to talk with you, love to pray with you about anything we've uh, talked about today. And before our worship team comes out and closes us in a great song about unity, let me tell you what we're going to do next week. Next week, we're going to end this series in a powerful way based upon something we have learned in this series. So we've learned in this series that conversations create solutions. So next week, we're going to have a small group conversation with some people in our church family. We're going to have a conversation with some minorities, a biracial couple, law enforcement officer, just some people that are part of our church family. And we're going to invite you into that conversation. So you just can imagine that we're kind of sitting in our living room or somebody's living room, and you just get to be a fly on the wall and observe this conversation. So I hope that you'll come next week, because I think it's going to be a powerful opportunity for us to learn the pathway to unity. So invite somebody to join us next week on campus, or if you're watching online, invite somebody to watch online with us as well. Now, if you would, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to to stand with me as our worship team closes. Again, I'll come back out in just a moment and be uh, at the front of the stage at the end of the service if you do need to talk or pray. But let's pray together, and then we'll sing. Lord, again, unity is such a big deal that, Jesus, you felt the need to pray for our unity. You weren't just praying for your disciples in that moment because of the chaos that was going to happen after your your death. You were praying for us today and the disunity and the division that's in our world, and you were praying for us to be unified, for us to promote your agenda, not our own. And Lord, we recognize today that there are some big things that stand in our way. We stand in the way. Satan stands in our way. But Lord, those of us who are followers of Jesus, according to Romans 8.11, have the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead living inside of us. So you've empowered us with more than we need to overcome those two things. Lord, I pray that you would help us do that as a church family. Lord, I pray that if there's any disunity in our body, that people will work to resolve it. Lord, I pray that if there's any disunity in our relationships that are outside of our church family, that we would be the ones that cross the divide, 
to bring unity and do all that we can. Lord, we can't do everything. We can't change people's hearts. Only you can do that. But we can cross the divide and have a conversation. We can love people. We can see people the way that you do. So Lord, I pray that you would do a heart check in us, an eye check, eye exam. Lord, I pray that we would find that one thing that we need to do and address that this week as we work to answer your prayer of unity. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.